Please be seated. Uh, good morning, everyone. Please keep your Bible open uh, at John chapter 3. And in the middle of your bulletin, there will be an outline for you to follow the sermon. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, pray that we may understand the truth that Jesus revealed and pray that we may believe all that he revealed to us. Uh, we pray this in his, son's, uh, in his name. Amen. Uh, one day there were two men. Uh, let's call them Abeng and Mutu. Abeng and Mutu went uh, rock climbing uh, at Mount Kinabaru uh, at a very steep and high cliff. And so up they climbed for about two hours. They were halfway up the cliff. And then suddenly their rope, their harness snapped. And they were almost going to fall to that day. But somehow they managed to hold on to the rocks and not fall. And then they started shouting for help. And soon there was someone, someone from the top of the cliff shouted at them and said, I can see both of you, but let me go and get some help to pull you out. Wait, I will come back and get you. And so Mutu believed that this man would, be, would come back in time to save him uh, before, uh, before he is not able to hold on to, to the cliff uh, and fall. So he decided to use all his energy uh, to hold on to the rock and wait for him. On the other hand, Abeng was not so sure. And after waiting for about 30 minutes, he didn't think that this guy would come back in time to save him. And so he thought before his energy ran out, he just climbed up the cliff himself. Since he can hear the voice, maybe he can reach the top by himself. And so he started climbing and climbing slowly. After half an hour, he still couldn't see the top at all. But then he didn't give up. He continued to climb and climb until he was so exhausted that he didn't even have energy to hold on to the cliff and fell to his death. And about an hour later, the man did come back and pulled Mutu out to safety. Mutu who hold on to the cliff with his dear life. Well, if your name is Abeng, I hope you're not offended uh, by this story. Uh, I just kind of made up this story to tell a point. Uh, what is the point of the story? The, story? the point of the story is that Abeng did not believe in the man that could help him. On the other hand, he relied on his own effort and he fell to his death because his own effort could not save him. And this is the point that Jesus wanted to tell us in this passage, in his conversation with Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom of God, he must not do it by his own effort, but he must believe in the solution that Jesus revealed to him. Well, many of us are very familiar uh, with the story of Nicodemus. But maybe not many of us realize the significance of the last three verses in John chapter 2. They came just before this. Those three verses are very important in how it should control the way we read this episode. Verse 23 in chapter 2 tells us that although many people believe in Jesus' name, Jesus did not entrust himself to these people. What does this mean? Uh, it means that Jesus knew that their belief was not real. That is why they did not, he did not trust their belief in him. In the later chapters of John Gospel, we'll see many instances where people initially believe in Jesus because of what he did. But then when Jesus tells them more things, tells them things that's hard for them to accept, they then rejected Jesus and stopped believing in him. And therefore, early here in John chapter 2, John wanted to tell us that there are many people who believe in Jesus' name, so to say, but their kind of belief was merely superficial. 
It was based on certain things that Jesus did, but they might stop believing in Jesus after hearing all the truths that Jesus had to tell them. And so John wrote in verse 25, Jesus himself knew what was in man, what was in human. It means that Jesus knew that humans' belief can be superficial and unauthentic. And right after John wrote, Jesus knew what was in man. And then he writes in chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. You see, John was trying to tell us that Nicodemus was just like one of those people that he said earlier in chapter 2. Do you see the link? Jesus knew what was in man. And there was a man named Nicodemus. Again, in verse 2, we see the same link. Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do. You see, Nicodemus also professed his belief in Jesus based on the signs that he saw Jesus did. Therefore, Jesus knew, he knew that in Nicodemus' heart, his belief was merely superficial at that time, like those people. And this is important for us to understand what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus in his following conversation. And after we had gone through the whole conversation, we realized that Jesus was seeking to challenge Nicodemus' superficial belief. He told a truth to Nicodemus that is hard for him to accept. Yet it is a truth that he must accept if he were to believe truly in Jesus. And so Jesus said this in verse 3, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus must be scratching his head and wonder what, what Jesus was talking about. He thought Jesus was talking about a second physical birth. That's why he said in verse 4, Can a man enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? That's what he thought. But then Jesus explained that when he meant born again, he did not mean a literal second physical birth. That's why he said in verse 6, That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, he's saying, even if you were to go back into your mother's womb and come out a second time, it is still not enough because you are still born of flesh. What you need to do is to be born of the Spirit. That's why he said earlier in verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. So we know that Jesus means that, you know, born of the Spirit means a spiritual birth and not just merely a second physical birth. But why add the word water to it, you may wonder. What does being born of water and the Spirit mean exactly? Well, some of you may have heard different explanations about what the water may symbolize. Uh, some Christians will say that water is referring to the first physical birth, and then Spirit is the second spiritual birth. Some may say that the water may symbolize water baptism. But I want to say that the only correct way to understand this is to see it in light of Ezekiel 36, which we read out earlier. Remember in the passage, we read about the great thing that God will one day do for the people of Israel, which was to deal with the problems of their sins once and for all. And remember that God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And then God said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to obey my rules. You see the word connection there? 
water and spirit. Both the water and the spirit was referring to one thing, to what God will do regarding their sins. The water refers to God's work of cleansing the uncleanness of their sins. And the spirit is given so that they will obey his commandments after that and not sin anymore. And so why did Judas say the phrase, one must be born of water and the spirit? He wanted to point to Ezekiel and say, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, the problem of your sin must be dealt with. And how do you deal with that? It's only when God cleansed your uncleanness and gave you his own spirit. Nicodemus most likely could not understand what Jesus was trying to tell him, as you can see uh, how his response was from the conversation. But even if, even if Nicodemus were to understand what I've just explained from Ezekiel 36, it would still be very difficult for him to accept this truth because of the fact that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. We see here in chapter 3, verse 1. Now we know from the Gospels that the Pharisees were a group of Jewish people who took special effort in keeping every small little minute details uh, of the commandments of God in the Old Testament. The Pharisees thought that it was by keeping all these minute details of the law that they are able to enter the kingdom. They thought it was by their own effort in keeping the law that they can have eternal life. But what did Jesus say that one must do in order to enter the kingdom? He must be born again. Think about this. Is being born that something depended on your own effort? Does it depend on how hard you try that you'll successfully be born? Of course not, right? Of all the things that happen to you personally, the one thing that you cannot control at all, the one thing that you cannot contribute at all, that you cannot decide at all, is your very birth. It is done for you entirely independent of your decision, will and effort. And so by deliberately using this language, being born again, Jesus was trying to tell to Nicodemus as a Pharisee that entering the kingdom is not something that you can be done by your own effort. It can only be achieved for you through God's work. And this truth was there all along in the Old Testament in the context of Ezekiel 36. There the context was that the Israelites had seen time and time again against God. It was shown for hundreds of years that this group of people could never keep God's command well enough to satisfy His standard. And so they were always punished by God's judgment. And then God said there in Ezekiel 36, that a day will come that despite their sins, despite that they always failed, but God will cause them to enjoy His blessing permanently and not suffer His judgment. Why? Because God Himself will do a great thing for them, which is to cleanse them of their uncleanness and give them, give them a new heart and a new spirit. That, was, that, is, that will be all God's work for them and not at all because of what they do. And so we can conclude what Jesus wanted to tell Nicodemus about, the entering, about entering the kingdom of God through those languages. He was trying to say that it is not through one's effort in keeping the law, but it's through God's work of giving them a new birth that they can enter the kingdom. And then Jesus continued to say a few more things. Uh, in verse 12, he said, If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You may wonder what are these earthly things and heavenly things. 
Uh, the earthly things obviously refer to what Jesus had just told Nicodemus earlier, which is the fact that I've said, those human or flesh, they cannot by themselves enter the kingdom. God has to give them a new birth. But what about the heavenly things? Well, it refers to what Jesus will explain later that's coming up. More about how to enter God's kingdom. So he said this in verse 15. Whoever believes in the Son of Man may have eternal life. Now, having eternal life is the same as entering the kingdom of God. The two are the same. The kingdom of God is where you have eternal life. And so Jesus is still talking about how to enter the kingdom. And here he's adding a second truth to how you can do that, which is to believe in the Son of Man. And so we have two truths here, if you remember. And the second one is built upon the first one. See, we can summarize the first truth, the first truth to something like this. To enter the kingdom, God has to do it for you. It's not what you do according to the law. And then the second one is you have to believe in the Son of Man. And so if you put these things together, firstly is God will do it for you. But how do you receive that? It is through believing in the Son of Man. In summary, it means that if we believe in the Son of Man sent by God, then God will give us a new birth, a birth of water and the Spirit. And so Jesus was trying to say that if you want to enter the kingdom of God, it is not by doing something. It's by believing in something. We're not doing something for God in order to be saved, but simply trusting in what God will do for us. Well, some might say at this point that believing is also something that we do because belief is a verb. But the distinction is between believing and doing works are quite clear when we see that it's not about anything that we do under God's law and commandments. All we need to do is believe in what he says about Jesus. And if we can understand that, then we'll see Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus more information about what he should believe about this Son of Man. And so he said earlier in verse 14, the Son of Man must be lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Well, what does this mean? Now, if you remember your Old Testament, the event of Moses lifting up the serpent was, was like this. Again, the Israelites sinned against God in the wilderness. They grumbled and blamed God at that time, where they, should thanking, where they should thank God for saving them out of Egypt. And so because of their grumbling and of their rebellion, God punished their sin by sending poisonous snakes to bite them. And many of them died. When that happened, they started to repent of their wrongdoing and ask God to forgive them. And in response, God asked Moses to set up a bronze serpent, set it up on a stick, and lift it up high. And God said to them, those who have been bitten by the poisonous snakes, if you just look at this bronze snake, and then you'll be forgiven, and you will not die from the poison. And so when Jesus applied this to himself, he was saying, we are just like the Israelites, we sin against God. And the solution provided by God is to lift Jesus high up, so that we can look at him, believe in him, and be forgiven. Now that you think about it, back then with the bronze serpent, it was a miraculous salvation. Right? The serpent didn't do anything for the people. They just look at it, believe in the solution that God offered, and they were saved. At the same time, when we believe in Jesus who was lifted up high, to some extent it is a miraculous forgiveness 
miraculous salvation. But then something deeper was happening there. More that was happening there that is not there in a bronze serpent. Because Jesus was lifted up high, not just on a stick, but he was lifted up high on a wooden cross. He was hanged high up to die as a criminal. Not for his own sins, but for our sins. And so God will forgive our sins through Jesus lifted up high on the cross because Jesus has paid for our sins through his death. He has cleansed our uncleanness by taking on the punishment of our sins. And so now we can see how all things tie together what Jesus wanted to tell Nicodemus. He said, if you believe in him who died for us, then we'll receive God's gift of cleansing our sins. With Ezekiel prophesied that it is a new birth of water and the Spirit. And so in summary, if we believe in the lifted up Son of Man, we will be born again and we can enter God's kingdom. There were verse 1 to verse 15. Now let us come to verse 16 onwards. Many of us, many of us are very familiar, right, with John 3, 16, that we can memorize it. For God so loved the world, that you can memorize it in your, in your head. And we usually interpret this passage on its own because it's so popular. But we should not fail to notice the connection between this section, 16 to 21, and the previous conversation with Nicodemus. Remember earlier I said that the only correct interpretation, interpretation about born of the water has to be based on Ezekiel 36, which is the cleansing of sin. See, why do I have the confidence to say that that is the only right interpretation and nothing else? Because that was how John wants us to understand it, by having John 3, 16 to 21 as an explanation of what Jesus wanted to tell Nicodemus in 1 to 15. And see how it links. Verse 16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice that it is solely by believing and not by anything else that one can have eternal life. This fits into what I've talked about earlier, that entering God's kingdom is not dependent on what we do, but purely by believing in Jesus. And the same thing is being emphasized again in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Notice in the second half of verse 18, it writes here that if you do not believe in Jesus, you are already condemned in your sins. Why is that so? Again, like what I said earlier, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves from our sin. Therefore, the only solution is to believe in Jesus who died for us. And if you do not believe in this only solution, then you are condemned already, no matter what other things you may do. I know that I'm repeating what I said earlier in verse 1 to 15. I know like, I may sound like a broken record to you, going on and on. But all I want to show is that how I interpret verses 1 to 15 is entirely consistent with verse 16 to 21. And it's how all of us should interpret the whole passage because it is how John wants us to read it. And so the whole John 3, 1 to 21 emphasizes that it is by believing in the Son of Man who will be lifted up on the cross that anyone, anyone can have eternal life not by doing the commandments of God. And this message of salvation 
true believing can be a very difficult truth for us to accept, not just for the Pharisee, but also for everyone of us here. Why do I say that? Because to accept that by believing in Jesus is the only way to heaven, it is to admit that by ourselves we are evil and wicked. It is to say that by our own works, we only deserve to be in hell and not in heaven. And this is indeed a hard message to swallow. And it is why many people would want to reject Jesus' message because they do not want to admit that by themselves they are, very, they are indeed very, very sinful. And so verse 20 writes, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. The light here refers to Jesus and the truth that he brought. Those who do not want their sins to be exposed, they will reject what Jesus said about believing in him. That is how, that is why they reject him. That is how they reject him. But what about those who want to accept Jesus and his truth? What must, what must they do? Well, they have to do the opposite, shouldn't they? If we accept Jesus and his truth, then what we have to do is we have to allow our sins to be exposed by God's truth, by God's word. We have, to be, we have to constantly bring our sins before God to repent of it and to seek for forgiveness. Uh, this is a hard thing, but necessary thing for Christians to do every single day. Whenever we realize what we do is not right in God's sight, we must never cover it up and hide ourselves from God's light. We must let God expose our sinfulness constantly and let God change how we live. Even though confessing our sins is a necessary thing, I know, I know that it's a very hard thing to do, having to do that continually. But there is a good news. The great news is that whenever we do that, whenever we confess our sins to God, we have the assurance that God will forgive us. God will forgive us because He wants to cleanse us of our sins. Because He has sent His Son to die for the world for that reason. And why did He do that? Because He loved the world. So let's read again this famous verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God knows that we can never save ourselves from our sins. And it is why he provided this solution for us, this only solution. And this solution caused Jesus to suffer greatly, caused God to suffer greatly. And why did God cause himself to suffer so greatly? So that we may not suffer his righteous condemnation. And this is how he loved this sinful world. And so, God's love for us and His grace in forgiving us should help us to do the hard thing of always confessing our sins before Him. Finally, are you a born-again Christian? It's quite common, isn't it, to hear in Christian circles that we use this phrase to describe those who are real Christian, those who are not fake Christian. Well, I would say that this is a correct use of this phrase, based on what we see today. But the main question is, how do we know whether one is really a born-again Christian whenever we use that phrase? 
Again, this passage gives us the answer. A born-again Christian is not someone who only believes in Jesus superficially. A born-again Christian is one who believes all the truth that Jesus revealed in history. Specifically, what did Jesus reveal here? He said that we must accept that it is only by believing in Him, dying on the cross for us, that we can ever enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, born-again Christians are those who admit that they are indeed very sinful. They are those who trust fully in Jesus Christ's work for them on the cross and not trust in their own works for salvation. Born-again Christians are those who understand God's love was shown to them clearly on the cross. And there will be those who rejoice. They rejoice in the grace of God because they understood the great gift that God has given to them by believing. Now I assume that there are quite a number of you here uh, will say that you already agree, that you already believe what I've just said. Probably you are thinking, why, why must we always emphasize uh, this fact in the church all the time? That it's only by believing and not what we do. Probably you're thinking, maybe we shouldn't talk so much about this. We should talk more about how we have to live out our faith as Christians. Um, not talk about our faith, but talk about good works. Not talk about just intellectual faith, understanding, but must go out there in the world and be a witness to other people in our workplace. Well, I agree that those are all the good things that we must do, we must do as born-again Christians. But I would like to sound a caution here, that we must not jump too quick to what we must do, and then neglect the central belief that is underlying all those that we must do. There's always a danger that if we jump too quick to what we must do or what we should do, we almost become like a Pharisee, like Nicodemus, thinking that it is what we do for God that enables us to enter His kingdom, that somehow we deserve to be in it. Throughout the, throughout the history of Christianity, there are far too many examples of Christians and Christian organizations who focus so much on their actions that they've forgotten the central belief that caused them to do those things in the first place. And in the end, they gradually compromise the truth. They gradually forgotten that it's only by believing in Jesus and nothing else that anyone can enter the kingdom of God. It is very dangerous indeed if we slowly neglect the most important truth in this world that Jesus revealed to us. It is like the illustration that I, I gave in the beginning where Abeng ended up trusting in his own effort and failed to hold on to that very belief that will save him. We will fail to save ourselves if we neglect what we should believe about Jesus. Not only that, but we also will not be able to save anyone in this world from their sin if we do not keep presenting this truth to the world. No matter how much contribution we might give to the society, it's no use. It's no use if we cannot save anyone ultimately from God's wrath. That is why I think it's good for us to emphasize what we should believe rightly and not just want to hear about what I should do this week. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you the truth that revealed to us by your Son about the reality of our sin, about the reality of your holiness. Thank you for 
revealing the truth that we cannot save ourselves from our sins. And we thank you for the truth that is by believing in, in your son who died for us, that we can be saved and have eternal life. Pray that we may understand this truth, but pray also that we may not just intellectually believe this truth, but we may embrace this truth, this reality, with our whole person, with our whole life, that we may know how to live out this faith. We pray this in the Son, Jesus' name. Amen.